Chapter 3, the letter to the Church of Philadelphia, that's coincidence we're there, right, Um, in these days. Uh, We've left off at verse 10. I'll read the whole letter. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Now he's talking in the first person. Jesus is dictating. John is writing. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold... I will make them to come and to worship, to worship God before thy feet in your presence and to know that I have loved you. Here's where we are. Because thou hast kept the word of, here he is speaking in the first person. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, think about this, I come quickly. Sounds sweeter than ever, doesn't it? Behold, think about this, he says, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. He that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out, And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. So to hear what the Spirit of God is saying today to the churches, plural, And as we study through this, there are at least four of the churches. There's promises made relative to the return of Christ. So at least these last four churches, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, are church systems that are existing around us today. And possibly Pergamos, too, blends with Thyatira. So these systems are around. Here he's speaking to a church... Uh, that we've called the church of the opened door. And he says, I've done that because you have a little strength. You have some strength. After 2,000 years, this church still has a little strength. You've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. I'm going to make the antagonists, those who claim to be religious, they're not. I'm going to have them, they're going to come and worship the Lord's servant, they're going to come and worship me. It'll be in your very presence. And I'm going to make them know that I had loved you. Now he comes to this promise to the church of Philadelphia about his return for the church, not with the church, and what those days will be like and how we're supposed to be aware and be watching relative to that. This is one of the clearest attestations of the rapture of the church in the New Testament. And it's remarkable to go through this and think, man, we are there. We are on the cusp. We're on the edge, you know. 
If Paul wrote, now is our salvation nearer than we first believed, imagine what that's like 3,000 years later, 2,000 years later. And look at the things we see going on in the world today that no generation of the church has seen. So certainly as we look at these words, for each of us individually, whoever, if you have ears, hear what the Spirit presently is saying to the churches. He began by saying, these things saith. So John is recording, Jesus in his glory is dictating, and at the end of his dictation he says, the Holy Spirit is still speaking to the church today. What is he saying? So great place to be. I planned this 14 or 15 years ago to get here uh, to this part of Revelation 3 this Sunday morning because I knew what was going to be happening. Uh, he begins by saying, uh, there's this promise, because you have kept the word of my patience, I also Notice that he's going to do some keeping too. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation that shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. The promise begins, look, you've kept something because you've done that. I also am going to keep something now. He says to this church, because you have kept the word logos where we get written word in regards to my patience, not being patient. Some people want to wrestle it in that direction. It's not talking about the patience of the saints. The word is hupomone, speaking of endurance. He says to a church, you have kept the word of what I have endured in my passion. He's speaking to a church who's kept the center, the center. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith on the earth. He said he wants to come and find us busy about his father's business. You remember, and we need to do that because Jesus, when he stood before Pilate, he said to Pilate, look, you don't have any authority over me. My kingdom is not of this world. Very important for us. If my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight? That's not the battle we're to have. It's a different battle. And involved in that battle is you and I are holding on to the faith that was once delivered to the saints, to the word of God. Jesus Christ is still central to our personal faith. Is that correct? You know, whatever else goes on around us, and there's parts of the church that are saying, well, you can't use the S word, sin. You can't use the H word, hell. You can't use the R word, repent, because it you know, means you're a fundamentalist. You make everybody else uncomfortable. Listen. Everybody who is lost and gone to hell needs to be uncomfortable now before they're uncomfortable forever. Okay? And uncomfortable now is in love. You're, you're looking at someone's loss, someone that needs medication, someone, you know, you have a vaccine that's going to... Because this is what's happening. The greatest reset that's ever happened is getting ready to happen. When the rapture happens, it's the beginning of the day of the Lord, which then goes on you know, through the tribulation, through the millennium, uh, into the new heavens and the new earth. So the greatest reset, don't worry about resets, that the world has ever seen is about to take place, and it's relative to you and I. They can have what's left. 
The promise is because you've kept that. You've kept the testimony of my endurance in an age when people don't want to hear about Jerusalem and the empty tomb and the death and resurrection of Christ. That's archaic. You know, it's fundamental. It doesn't, it's not inclusive. In a world and in a church that really doesn't want to hear that, that's Laodicea. We'll get there if the Lord tarries for a week. <clears throat> he says, but because you've kept something. It's, it's the word about what I've endured on your behalf. You've embraced that. I'm going to keep you also. There's a, it's a reciprocal verb. He's responding. And he says, I'm going to keep you from the hour. Now, let me read this. It's a very specific. The grammar is very specific. There are definite articles throughout because each point identifies something. So verse 10, he says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from, number one, the hour, number two, of the temptation. And the Greek is interesting. It's the which shall come, very specific, upon the whole inhabited earth, is what it says, to try the them, that dwell upon the face of the earth. Each one of those is very specific. So uh, he says here, I'm going to come. You've kept the word of my patience. I'm going to keep you from ek, out of. Now look, scholars argue here. So if you go to Robert Thomas, if you want to read two volumes, great read if you're a studier on the book of Revelation. Walvoord does a good job here too. There are those ek thero, they try to say that well, what he's saying here is he's going to keep you out of the hour that's coming, which means preservation. You're going to go through, but you're going to be immune. He's going to keep you in the situation. Because they say, they, when they want to argue that way, this is all free information. In John 17, verse 15, the only other place you'll find in the New Testament, this phrase, kept from, is in Jesus' high priestly prayer, and he prays the Father would keep them as disciples from the evil one. And they try to say, well, that means keep them in their pilgrimage and sustain them. You can wrestle it that way, but it also means keep, Father, keep the evil one from them, keep them away from the evil one. For the Greek scholars, Homer's Iliad, um, the writings of Josephus, the Septuagint, all use this phrase, to literally describe being taken away from something and kept. So that is my position. If you are a post-tribulationist and want to stay here for the tribulation, God bless you. As your faith is, so be it unto you. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> By the blood of Jesus. And because I've kept the word of what he's endured for me, he promises to keep me from out from the hour, the one that is about to come, the participle defines the hour. It's an hour that has not yet come, but is about to come. There's an urgency to that. Then it's a purpose clause with a definite article again, that which is about to come um, of temptation. It's a, it's a t hour of testing which shall come, the coming of it is upon the entire habited, inhabited earth, 
not just upon Philadelphia historically in, in Asia Minor, not just upon the Roman Empire. This is a judgment that is global that will come on the entire earth. And then he says, and that is coming to try the them, a specific them that shall dwell upon the earth. So there is an hour, okay, not 60 minutes long. It's a period of time. There's an hour that's coming. It is for testing, trial, and temptation. It doesn't say here the church is going to be preserved through this. Look, you read the book of Revelation. Um, the church disappears. The last time you're going to hear about it, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Come up here, heard the sound of a trumpet, was caught up. You don't hear about the church again to the end of, book of, of Revelation, chapter 19. The church has gone through all of these... And there's no preservation. The only, look, there's all this stuff coming out of the sky, fire, and hell's breaking loose, and the seas are turning to blood, and people are dying, and things are let out of the abuso, chewing on people. They can't die even if they want to. There's, you know, if the good news is I'm getting preserved through that, no thanks. Who wants to live through that? They're, the only ones who go through that are the 144,000 that are sealed in chapter 7 and the two prophets outside of Jerusalem. And they have 1,260 days, then they get killed. There is no preservation. There is no immunity. Now, it's not talking about immunity to trials. The church has never promised immunity to trials. We have them. But we are promised immunity to a world that is being engulfed in the wrath of Almighty God. We have immunity to that. Christ has taken that wrath for us on the cross. So it says here, it says here, there's a promise. The promise is to be kept. I'll kind of broaden the verse. The promise is to be kept by being placed outside of the hour a specific time period which is about to come, if you watch the news, which is about to come on the entire inhabited earth as a global, global testing and trial specifically to try the earth dwellers. Now let me do this. Earth dwellers is important 12 times in the book of Revelation just so we're perfectly clear who this hour is coming on. Of course, you have it here in chapter 3, verse 11, uh, verse 10. Now you'll have it. I'll, I'll just read through these. You can listen. You have to turn. Chapter 6, verse 10 says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? That's not us, right? Okay. They're asking for vengeance on the earth dwellers. Chapter 8, verse 13 says this. And I beheld, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the, here it is, to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices are yet to sound. So Paul, when he says, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, he said, so encourage one another with these words. He doesn't say, say, whoa, whoa, whoa to each other. This is for earth dwellers. It says that specifically. Uh, chapter 11, verse 10 says this. It says, and 
they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. They just killed the two prophets and make merry and they shall send gifts to one another. Instead of Christmas, you have dead prophets day, uh, adopt a family and uh, they will make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell upon the earth, not the church. Chapter 12, verse 12 uh, says this. It says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Because the, Satan has come down. He's angry, it says. Um, chapter 13, very important. It says this in verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, all who dwell on the earth. That's not the church. It says again in verse 12 of chapter 13, it says, And he exercises, the false prophet, all of the power of the first beast before him, and he causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the beast whose deadly wound was healed to worship the Antichrist. Chapter 14 and 13 says, And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth. It says it again. That's who the earth dwellers are. Chapter 14 says this in verse 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel preaching to them that dwell on the earth. Again, chapter 17 says this in verse 2. It says, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth, their relationship with the great whore, this false religious system, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk. And then a little further on in chapter 17, in verse 8, it says, The beast that thou sawest, the Antichrist, was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and then go into perdition, and they that dwell upon the earth shall wonder, listen, whose names were not written in the, life, in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast. That's not us. So 12 times in the book of Revelation, you have this phrase of earth dwellers, those who dwell on earth, inhabitants of the earth. They are the Christ rejectors throughout the book of Revelation. In fact, it gets to the point it says they're going to know that the judgments that are coming from God and they're going to shake their fist at the sky and blaspheme God and refuse to repent of their sins. So there's an hour coming. How close are we to that? It's coming quickly on the world. What we've done in the day we're living, and you have to make this decision Individually, he's talking to those who have kept the promise of his suffering on the cross. He's, he's kept us through his blood. And we've kept that at the center of our lives. It's our hope. We've not let go of that. And because we've done that, he says, I also will keep. And what I'll keep is I'll keep you out of the hour, which is about to come. It hasn't arrived yet. And it's coming to test the entire inhabited globe, not just an area, relative to those that will be tested who dwell on the face of the earth, the Christ 
rejecters. Now, by the way, we're going to follow this thread as we go through again. Chapter 4, verse 1, the church is caught up. Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, it says there uh, that John wept because no man was found worthy to open the seals. He says, no man in heaven, anthropos in heaven. How did men get in heaven before the tribulation? No man in heaven, on the earth, or the under the earth was found worthy to open the seals. Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, and we'll take some time when we get there, is their singing song, Worthy art thou to take the scroll and open the seals thereof, because thou hast died, thou hast redeemed us from every nation, kindred, tongue, and so forth. A lot of the translations say redeemed men, redeemed them, and then they have the nerve to put in a gloss that says the best manuscripts say them, the original, they've never seen an original manuscript. Don't listen. You, they think we're country bumpkins and we have to believe what they write in a column in a Bible. The truth is, the vast majority of all Greek manuscripts say us. The only one that doesn't is Alexandrinus and a Coptic paraphrase. Every other manuscript says us. So don't listen to those guys. We'll beat them up when we get there, okay? The, the, the idea is this, is this is a theme through the book of Revelation. And look, historically, for, you know, context of the New Testament, let's do this. Um, place after place, Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, that we are awaiting the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthians, with all their problems, awaiting the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we literally eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, he says, The Lord is near, or the Lord cometh. It means he's right at the door. My point is, when you study through the New Testament, the apostles, the New Testament believers, didn't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture the way we do with the jargon we used. But they believed that Christ was returning in their lifetime. They believed in imminency. And that's what we need to believe today. His return is imminent. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, We've turned from idols to worship the true and living God uh, to wait for his Son from heaven, and, and we've been spared the wrath to come. The word there, wait, means is a present tense. It means to be continually, actually the sense of it is waiting up for his coming. If you've had teenagers, you know what that is, waiting up. Um, and Thessalonians, look, the beauty, one of the beauties to me is, you know, here he is, in First and Second Thessalonians, talking all about the coming of Christ, he was in Thessalonica three Sabbaths and was driven out. People say, "Well, prophecy is not for young believers. They don't need to know that. They need to know the basics of the faith." You know, prophecy doesn't. You know, what's that produce? Look, Paul is in Thessalonica three weeks, three weeks, driven out, and then when he writes them, he said, "You know, when I was there, I told you this." You know the Lord is coming, and the believers are going to be caught up. Comfort one another with these words. Regarding times and seasons, you have no need to write you. I already told you this. So the day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction is coming. As a woman with travail, it's not going to come on you. It's going to come on them. Second Thessalonians, he talked all about the Antichrist and the deception. The, you know, these were things that Paul breathed into a brand new baby church. They are important things. It's the blessed hope. It's what's set before us. So Thessalonians talks about those things. Titus, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing 
of our Lord God and Savior. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says he's going to appear a second time unto salvation with those that are eagerly waiting for him. 1 Peter 1.13 says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought about at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jude 1.21 says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We find it through the book of Revelation. You find it in Romans chapter 5. You go through the New Testament. Look, Paul says, then we which are alive shall be caught up to meet the Lord near. He expected to be part of it. You know that because in 1 Corinthians 7, he says to the single men, look, stay single. If you get married, then you've got to worry about the things concerning your wife. He doesn't condemn it. He says, you're not sinning. But he said, you know, I'd rather you just, it's simpler if you just stay single because the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Jesus is coming, so you can make it. If the church had listened to him, it would have died out in the first century. <laughs> but he was expecting Christ in his lifetime. That was the belief of the church. It was the belief of the church through church history. We have this from the Didache, written about 100 to 120 A.D., shortly after the book of Revelation. It says, watch for your life's sake, let not your lamps be quenched, nor your loins unloosed, but be ready, for you know not the hour in which your Lord doth come. Uh, the first epistle of Clement, written about 96, the same time this book is written. He says, of a truth, soon and suddenly shall his will be accomplished, as the scripture bears witness, listen, as the scripture bears witness, saying speedily will he come and he will not tarry. Uh, in his second epistle of Clement, he says there that we should be ready for the day of the Lord's appearing. The epistle of Barnabas says the Lord has cut short the times and the days of his beloved, uh, his beloved may hasten. The Lord is near and his reward is with him. Ignatius of Antioch, uh, again, says the, la the last times are here. We should expect him. Clement of Rome, or even earlier in some of these other ones, preached the coming of Christ according to an imminency. Uh, he shall come quickly and not tarry. Look, these things are everywhere. Um, Adolf Harnack, a liberal scholar, wrote about his observations of the early writings of church fathers. And he said there, in the history of Christianity, three main um, forces are uh, brought about as auxiliaries to the gospel. They have elicited an ardent enthusiasm of men whom the, who the bare preaching of the gospel, uh, it was needed in that. He says, a belief in the speedy return of Christ and in his glorious reign on earth. First in point, of time came the faith in the nearness of God's second coming, Christ's second coming advent, and the establishment of his reign of glory on the earth. Indeed, it appears so early that it might be questioned whether it ought not to be regarded as an essential part of the Christian religion. This is a liberal scholar that says this. Again, uh, Forrest Silver in his book, on the Lord's return, when he's writing of the apostolic fathers, he says, they expect the return of the Lord in their day. They believe the time was imminent because the Lord had taught them to live in a watchful attitude. And, and concerning the Antinicene fathers, he said, by tradition, they knew the faith of the apostles. 
They taught the doctrine of the imminent and premillennial return of the Lord. You follow these things through church history. Look, John Wesley said this, perhaps he will appear as the day spring from on high before the morning light. You know many Methodists that are living like this today? Perhaps he will appear as the day spring from on high before the morning light. Oh, do not set a time, but expect him every hour. Now he is nigh, even at the doors. Martin Luther said this, Let us not think that the coming of Christ is far off. I wonder how Lutherans relate to this today. Let us not think that the coming of Christ is far off. Let us look up with heads lifted up. Let us expect our Redeemer's coming with longing and a cheerful mind. John Calvin in his Institutes wrote this. Scripture uniformly enjoins us to look with expectation for the advent of Christ. The point is, it has biblical support, this imminent return of Christ. It has church history supporting it as you study through. And he says here, look in verse 11, Behold, I want you to think about this. This is, he was in here, let me hear what the Spirit is saying in the churches. Uh, It starts by saying, thus saith the one who is holy and true. Look what he says in verse 11. Behold, I want you to think about this. That's what behold means. I come quickly. Isn't that a good thing to think about? With all the other things we had to think about in 2020, isn't it great to think on that for a while? Sit around. Behold this. Just imagine this. Think about this. I come quickly. His return is a threat, is a a warning to Pergamos, a threat to Sardis. But the only other place you have this I come quickly in the book of Revelation is all the way at the end. Chapter 22, verse 7 says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Again in verse 12, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Again in verse 20, He which testifieth these things, Jesus is speaking, saith, Surely I come quickly. Four times in the book he said, I'm coming quickly. And look, the the word there is is involved with taxia. It isn't, I'm coming soon. The idea is, I'm coming suddenly. Not, I'm coming soon, but my coming will be sudden, like a thief in the night. So we do know this, look. We certainly are living at a time when we see the whole world turning away from God, not wanting those values. We certainly live in a time when we could see God's testing come on the entire earth. That's without doubt. For you and I, it says, he that overcometh, verse 12, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. The temple of God, as we get to... The end of the book is the city itself. The entire city is temple. The entire presence of God is temple. And it says there's a time coming when we're going to step into the presence of God and we're never going to leave his presence again. How's that sound? Okay? Because, because look, when we step into that presence, this corruption will have put on incorruption. And this mortal will have put on immortality and when we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, you're not thinking, oh, I can't think that. I know I'm going to get thrown out right away. No, no, the flesh is gone. 
the corruption will put on incorruption, the mortal will put on immortality, and all there will be to praise is the lamb with the marks of slaughter upon him. That is why we will be there sinless and welcome and presented faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. He says, the one who overcomes, he's going to be a fixture, like a pillar in the temple of God. He shall go no more out. And he says, and I, there's three times here now when he mentions a name. I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Three times the name is mentioned being written on us. One of the things you really want to take to heart is take the name and not the number. You know, take the name and not the 666. Take the name. And he says, I'll write upon him the name of my God. The idea is that is who we belong to. That who is has possession of our lives. We are named of God Almighty. Number two. The city of God, which comes down, that's citizenship. That's, that's where we are. That, that is, will be, however that's tagged on us, however that comes part of us, I'm ready for that. And then he says, and I will write upon him my new name. The idea is, when we get to that holy city forever, we will be the church of the firstborn. And there's a difference between the redeemed of Israel, and the church of the firstborn. You and I take of the cup and of the bread. Israel didn't do that in old. We do that, the communion table of Christ. During the millennial reign, there are memorial sacrifices. But you and I, the church of the firstborn, it says there's going to be a name written on us. Look, in the foundation stones of that city, there are names of the 12 apostles of Christ. In the gates, the 12 tribes of Israel. Both recognized, but what will be written on us will be our Savior's new name. And we will always be the church of the firstborn. That's cool, isn't it? And whatever that means, we'll find out when we get there. But it's what he says here. Take the, take the name, not the number. And he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So application for us to think about this. Look. Number one, if, in your own mind, if the hour of global testing of Christ rejectors is about to come, you see any Christ rejectors around? All right, you're awake anyway. You know, if the hour of testing is about to come on the entire globe, right? That's an if. If we are removed before that hour comes. That's an if for you, not an if for me. I'm getting out. If, we are, if it's about to come, and if we are removed before it comes, and if he says himself, behold, I come quickly, where does that leave us today? What is the Spirit saying today? Do we see the world primed? Is the stage set for an hour of testing that's finally going to test the whole world and shut every mouth? Is that ready to come? If we are taken out before that begins, and if our Savior says to us, Behold, I want you to think about this. I come quickly. Where do we stand today? 
If he says here, I come quickly, listen. Hold that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Not thy salvation. The crown is a reward. Salvation is a free gift. That no man take thy crown. Because look, there are rewards for service. Salvation is a free gift. It's not a reward. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. Ditto. That's just... But... For those of us who serve, hold on. We have a little strength. We've kept the word. We haven't denied his name. We've held on to the truth of how he suffered on the cross for us. Hold on. The idea is grab and don't let go. Guard. Hold on to that which thou hast. And then nobody can take your crown. There's a reward. You're a mom. <clears throat> you know, you, you have more than the endless pile of wash and the and the dishes that are never done. You know, you've got a little Spurgeon there or, or you know, a little Whitfield in your home or you have, you know, don't think there's a 666 on my kid. There, there's not. You know, uh, you know, I have a little Franny Crosby here. Look, you have something in your hands that's eternal. You're worth something to those little ones because you have some strength. You've kept the word. You haven't denied his name. That's contagious. You're at work, wherever you're working. Your fellow, your co-laborers or the people that work for you, whatever. You have an open door. Hold on to that. There's rewards if you're a good steward over that. Wherever we function, in school, in a university... There's people, unbelievers, we rub shoulders with every day. Are we letting them know about the good news? Look, as we sit alone with this Savior, with the Master. You know, he's had me recently, just personal, but maybe I should not share it, but it's not like a big secret or something. But he's just had me in Psalm 19, verse 14. Let, I've just been hanging there, let. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's a prayer. Let, I'm asking him for something, Lord. Lord, let this happen. Because I can't clean myself up. Let it happen, Lord. Let the, the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart. Because I know you're coming quickly. I'm looking at the world. I know this is the season when you're going to return like a thief in the night. I know you're coming for me, Lord. I want to be thinking the right things and saying the right things. I I have such a propensity to compromise or sin. I'm genuinely a selfish man in my fallen nature. But there's that new nature from the new birth within that's, that's at war against that. And I'm thinking, Lord, let me live my life there in these last days. Let me be thinking properly and processing properly. Let me have an alignment, you know, a realignment in these days. Let me prioritize people and service. And Lord, let me remember there are rewards. Let me do this right, Lord. I've been preaching it for years, but I look around the world today and I'm going rut-row, as Scooby would say. He's coming. He's coming. That's what's happening. Look, that world out there ain't our home. Again, Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world or my servants would fight. 
That world out there is lost like we were before we got saved. The purpose of us being here is we're to be the light of the world. Light is seen. It isn't heard. The soul of the earth. Soul is tasted. It's not heard. We're to be living our lives in such a way that we're contagious. And then it opens a door for us to share. For you and I, we have the blessed hope. You know, we can't be surprised. We know globalism is coming. We know there's going to be a centralized government in Europe. The Antichrist is going to take. You know, it's like we've been teaching it for years. And when it starts to happen, what do you mean? This is where we're at. We're right on track. The trajectory is biblical. It's right where we are. But for you and I, we're getting out of here. We have a promise. He's, he's going to, look, he's going to keep us from the hour. We know that because Paul said, treat your wives the way Christ treats the church. Now, ladies, if you're married to a post-tribulationist, I feel bad for you. <laughs> but the Lord doesn't beat up the bride before the honeymoon. He doesn't set her on fire and let demons chew on her. Treat your wives the way Christ treats the church, right? He's coming for us to carry us across the threshold. He's prepared a place for us. He's asking while we are, you know, enduring in this world that we keep the the fact that we have a little strength, we have his word, we have the gospel. And in the middle of all that, we have the fact that he died for us. He bore our sins. He took them, what he endured for us on the cross. And because we've held on to that, he says, I'm going to keep you out of the hour that's about to come. The hour that's going to try the entire globe, inhabited earth. And it's going to try all of the earth dwellers through the book of Revelation, which are Christ rejectors, lost men and women. And even then he lets things come in thirds because he wants them to turn. For you and I, at the sound of a trumpet, our job's going to be over. Then the judgment seat of Christ and the rewards that will be given to us. You know, let's keep current accounts. He's coming quickly, if that's true. Keep current accounts. When you sin, go right to him. If there's relationships you need to make right in your home, make them right. If there are things visually you need to put away, put them away. If there's substance you need to get rid of, get rid of it. Look, those are relative to rewards. Again, you don't want to get into heaven with your gown smoking. You know, it says some of your works are going to be burned up wood, hay, and stubble, but the soul itself will be saved. There are rewards. And they're foreordained. He's already prepared it all for us, that we should walk in them. And then he rewards us for the works that were foreordained that he prepared for us. That's just, there's no better setup in eternity. Amen? All right, let's stand. We're going to sing one last worship song. Now, is it coincidence that we got to these things on this day and this week and this year? He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying today to the churches. The beginning, Jesus says, Thus saith the one who is holy and true. He's speaking. He's ready to come for his bride. He's saying, Get ready. Only there they're going to sing, here comes the groom at that wedding. It's a little bit different. But he's ready to come. Um, if, if, if Luther and Wesley and Calvin and the church fathers lived that way, 
And, then, and if they could believe, now is our salvation nearer than we first believed, what in the world are we supposed to do with that truth? There's never been a generation of the church as close to the return of Christ as you and I are this morning. Amen. <clears throat> Lord, we put these things before you. And Lord, we know this is not an intellectual exercise. We love prophecy. It's interesting, Lord. Sometimes we're crazy enough to argue with people about it. Meantime, Lord, it comes to us. You said everyone that has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Lord, we know that we're to set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth, that there is to be a cleansing about this hope that we have and encouraging about this hope that we have an expectation to see you soon, Lord, and an hour we think not. So, Lord, we see all of those things in place. All of the chess players are on the board. Help us to live like we believe what we say. We pray, Lord. In your name and for your glory, amen.